podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts. Welcome to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, a.k.a. Menners. And joining me for this show, I have the pleasure of welcoming back to the show our resident Kiwi. He's the man with much more personality than Kane Williamson. And in he is here to present the Chapel Hadley Trophy to us. Welcome back, Kiwi Bob. Wow, that's uh, that's so nice. Such a kind introduction. Well, Kane Williamson doesn't have much of a personality. so it's Yeah, well, I mean, I was considering um, some form of pseudo-metaphorical uh, comparison and not turning up the same way that the New Zealand cricketers uh, seem like they haven't turned up, but I thought I'd better, I'd better make an appearance and, uh, yeah. Well, thanks for coming in. And our next guest, in, it, in his biography, it states that he lives all over the world writing about cricket for various agencies, including The Guardian, Crick Info and ABC Grandstand. He's been an advisor for the federal government. He was involved in, in undisclosed ways organising the 2012 London Olympics. His favourite show is the spy drama The Americans, which leads me to think that cricket journalism is just a cover for international espionage. So, Adam Collins, welcome to the show. Are you actually a spy or a cricket journalist? What a brilliant intro. I I do quite a few of these, but I don't think anyone's deep dove enough to know what I did for a living before cricket, nor what my favourite TV show is. Although in saying that, I do host a podcast on it, so I probably don't (laughs) disclose that too well. And I I share your your, your views about Kane Williamson, who I adore to watch to bat, but not to interview. I remember last year... He was being interviewed at Perth after he made 100 in the second test match there. And, um, and Simon Caddick said, now, now, now Kane, um, I want to know how your time at Gloucestershire affected your, your, your career. And, and he didn't answer the question. So the next day, Kane was being interviewed again. And Simon said, now, specifically, specifically, I want to know how your time at Gloucestershire affected your technique in playing. I think from memory, it was off the back foot. And Kane goes, well, well, generally speaking, to start his answer, and the media manager threw his phone down and had a good laugh. It was, it was illustrative <laughs> of the fact that Kane, for all his great qualities on the field, he's not, the, uh, he's not a media maestro quite yet. Welcome to the show, listeners. There's a lot to get through. We're going to wrap up the Chapel Hadley Trophy. We are going to talk about the upcoming series against Pakistan. We've got a couple of segments just for Adam. Uh, But before we get into all that, we've got a couple of announcements. Firstly, tomorrow, the Big Smash Cricket podcast launches. So if you haven't subscribed already, go to um, wherever you listen to podcasts and find the Big Smash Cricket podcast. We're going to be covering all the BBL and WBBL. So that's going to be great. Have a listen to that. And the Oz Cricket Pod, Australian Cricket Podcast, is still continuing. Don't worry, I've had a couple of messages wondering if this podcast will be shelved, but it's not. So there's going to be three podcasts a week coming out of uh, two Big Smash and one Australian Cricket Podcast. So enjoy all that. But great news, Australia have regained the Chapel Hadley Trophy. So really good news for Australian Cricket. You must be uh, upset, Bob, to see that go. Uh, yeah, well, I think we get the chance to win it back in six months. Um, back six in weeks. Six weeks. My apologies. Um, yeah, obviously summer doesn't last that long in New Zealand. But um, uh, yeah, so maybe on home soil we'll do a little better. But um, on, oh, mate, I mean, well deserved. I mean, you know, it uh, was almost, I think the, the first game was, was close. The second game was an absolute bloodbath. So uh, yeah, well deserved. Well described. But the drama has all been off the field. And Glenn Maxwell has been involved in a dramatic series of circumstances and if for all the listeners out there who aren't aware he was fined for making comments about where he was batting in the batting order for Victoria but I want to backpedal a bit and it's great to have you here Adam because I know you've been following this very closely and we've been following this on the podcast really closely and I want to go back to a couple of months when Marcus Harris was called across from Western, was made offers to play for Victoria from Western Australia, and Marcus Harris was lured across from the other side of the country to play for Victoria and was given assurances about batting up the order. Now, that is where this problem stems from, because Glenn Maxwell, resident Victorian player, has said, well, you know, why can't I get these assurances of batting up the order? Sorry? Well... Look, I, I agree with the broad tenor about it being in the way of Maxwell batting in the top four, but I'm not sure Marcus required a huge amount of encouragement to leave the whacker. 
is my sense of the situation. He, he said he didn't um, fit oh. in equally with the system there. I asked him about it last week, actually, at, at a media conference down at, uh, down at the MCG, and he, he implied that the system in Victoria is, is more in keeping with him. Now, I'm not sure what that means exactly. You'd have to unpack it. But he's a young man trying to make his way, and he's ha- happy to be at Victoria. But I certainly agree that it squeezed uh, Glenn Maxwell for, for opportunity, especially in light of uh, well, Harris. He got the run. shits, so he got the shits. Yeah, he Glenn did. Maxwell got the shits and he said, you know what, I want to leave Victoria. Yeah. You're not going to promise me to bat up the order, yet you're going to get someone from the other side of the country. He felt slighted. Well, well someone should ask him that. I don't think, and I'm probably negligent in my own job there, someone should ask him whether, whether Harris's recruitment has had a, a, a direct effect on his antipathy towards staying well, in Victoria. Well, he's not going to say anything after last week at the SCG. He'll have no probably money. Probably not, He'll be yeah. hello, cricket <laughs> Australia money. So, but no, so on the podcast, he, sorry, he asked to leave Victoria. It was refused. Cricket Australia said, no, it's outside the transfer window. Cricket Victoria would have had to give permission, but they didn't. Now, on the podcast, we said, surely this is going to cause a problem. There's some problem in Cricket Victoria. He's he's asked to leave. Now, he's got to front up a training. Go, g'day, fellas. Hey, you know how I wanted to leave to your bitter rivals. So the failure is not with Glenn Maxwell, but Cricket Australia should have averted this problem. Shouldn't Pat Howard or one of the high-performance managers just gone, this is not good for one of our major talents to be caught in this problem, and, and, and squeezed some arms in Cricket Victoria and made them let him go? Yeah, a real dilemma, um, especially how stacked that Victorian batting lineup is. Uh, the fact that he couldn't even get a game in the first shield round, I think that there's more to be said about that and more to be written about that. Um, Daniel Breedick from Crick Info wrote the story which, um, which revealed that Maxwell had been shopping himself to New South Wales after that window when he was touring Sri Lanka with the limited overs side. I was on that tour and uh, the reports were that, that he wasn't thrilled about being there for the T20s but not the one days. You can understand that. And he said as much yeah. when we asked him after he made that 150 uh, at would have been candy. He was asked about being left out of the one-day side and he, he basically fronted up and said he hadn't made enough runs in, in the West Indies. But you're allowed to be shattered when you get dropped from a cricket side. I, look, I think of it, yeah. it's a very relatable human experience. If you drop from a side, you're going to be angry, you're going to be frustrated. And I think better than um, chastising him for, for expressing that, I think that the better play is, to, uh, is to, to afford him some latitude to express what he thinks when he's asked a direct question. It wasn't elegant how he phrased his answer last Thursday or last Friday, I think it was, in Sydney. But I think what it was was uh, you know, an admirable amount of candour to call it as he sees it rather than to try and give a media line or to um, give a, a line off the talking points. He basically got asked a direct question and gave a direct answer and that leads him into the, into the predicament he's in at the moment where I mean, the, the Sunday Telegraph reported last week that his career might be in jeopardy in the longer term. And now that's, that's not for nothing. If the Sunday Telegraph... Uh, and, their, and their chief cricket writer is saying something like that, you, you assume it's well sourced. And I think that, uh, that, that, is, that is a troubling little phase Cricket Australia are now going through to manage Glenn Maxwell because I think the last thing any of us want, um, whether it be your podcast listeners or watchers of world cricket, is seeing uh, Glenn Maxwell uh, sitting on the sidelines for too long because he's a generational talent. He's the sort of guy who makes people stream through the gates, who watch on TV. Um, he's uh, one of the most interesting characters in the game as well. And, and I think that we can share that collective want for him to get this right. And whatever's going on at Cricket Australia to get their shit together and get Glenn Maxwell back in the 11, or at the very least, to placate him sufficiently so that he well, doesn't feel the need. get their shit together is right. Why yeah. was this situation allowed to get to this? If I could see on this podcast two months ago that the situation in Victoria wasn't going to work out, and then we saw one unfolded where he was left out of the first game of the Shield uh, summer, it is a disaster. Someone in Jollymont should have got in, in an Uber and headed across to the <laughs> Cricket Victoria offices and said, look... You Wouldn't have been an Uber, it's 100 metres away. So. Okay, so walk down, and they should have got a, you know, got a chauffeur. That's the way they travel in uh, Cricket Australia. But they should have said, look, you've got to let him go for the good of Australian cricket. If you can pull mm. out Mitchell Stark mid-game, if you can play Shield games in New Zealand, then surely if a player needs to go outside the transfer window, a Cricket Australia should be over, able to override that. And this whole situation would have gone away. He would I'm be not sure whether that deals with the root cause, though, right? Like, if they, if they enable that transfer outside the rules and, and the regulations of the Sheffield Shield, they're, they're making an exception, and I don't think they're going to be too keen to make an exception just because someone's high profile. I, I'm, not, I'm not really anti them putting their foot down about that. I think the, the root cause is, is why does Glenn Maxwell feel... Um, unsatisfied at some level at the moment. It's that he feels mm. like he's not getting... Now it's not, not getting an appropriate opportunity in the Victorian batting lineup. but I think there's been broader festering issues for some time now. So I think that uh, this is, as you say, I'm not sure whether it's... I wouldn't call it incompetence on the part of Cricket Australia. I think that'd be, that'd be overreaching, but I think... Can it, I? You, you can, but I, I probably wouldn't call it that. <laughs> I think that the responsibility often in a conflict lies in, in both in both 
camps, right? There's probably, I'm sure there are a series of things that Glenn Maxwell has done and said behind closed doors that we're not privy to, which, um, which create this set that some seem to have against him. By the same token, I think that um, someone um, needs to be big enough and smart enough and, and have enough human resources experienced with all the additional auxiliary staff uh, Australian cricket has around it to uh, manage a player like this. Chris Rogers spoke um, fluently um, in his book about um, the importance of the team psychologist in Middlesex when he got picked for Australia in 2013 and the influence that had on his tour and his uh, subsequent stretch. Do you think Max needs a shrink? Well, no, I'm saying that there's, there's players... Well, the point I'm making is that there are, play, there are people, there are so many people around the side um, who play a variety of roles in, in, in helping players perform at their peak and I'm not saying necessarily whether it's a psychologist in Maxwell's case but there's got to be someone there who he can identify with Dean Jones says the mentor and maybe Dino's right but I think that they can ha- they can't have that many people around and he still feels excluded that, that there's, yeah. some, there's something amiss there yeah, yeah. he feels victimised though at the moment yeah. and, and, and to your point Adam I guess what I want to make clear is there, some of this must be Max's personality issues but yeah. as I said I think if he was playing in another state now this would all just be finished and we'd be talking about cricket well, the thing is, he's always been a maverick, isn't he? he? And he's always been very, very ambitious. And even in the, in the first few years where he burst onto the scene, you could see that when he did get out cheaply or, or if something you know, didn't quite go his way, he'd be really, really hard on himself. He's walking off the field and you can tell he's really upset. When he's played another ridiculous um, shot we, across the yeah, line. you know, if he's, he's left, the, left the straight one. Um, but uh, back then, it was, I think it was easy for him to find a scapegoat because really he could only blame himself and... and Whereas now, I think that there's so many externalities. Um, I think Dean Jones is actually onto something there when he talks about mentorship. And, and I think if, if Glenn Maxwell had a sounding board or someone just to just vent with and someone who he could maybe, uh, someone who could empathise with him um, and help him through through the time, it probably wouldn't, well, definitely wouldn't, wouldn't be a bad thing, whether it's a, the team psychologist or if it's a, maybe a senior um, you know, maybe a retired KP, player. KP and him probably have a lot in common about well, divisive it, team environments. Absolutely. But this, this, is, this is the nature of international sport, is it not? I mean, even football clubs at a domestic level, there are rifts in sides. Yeah. Mark Taylor made some interesting points. I think it was in Whitewash to Whitewash, I can't remember where I read it, where he talked about the Australian side's actually a, a representative side. It's not a club side. Yeah. You're not down the pub on a Thursday night um, playing playing cards. You're not... Um, uh, you know, you're not you're not necessarily in the same friendship group. You, you're a representative side from different parts of the country who come together for a, a specific role to represent your country, which means that you don't need to be a bunch of mates. If anything, I think that's a great takeout point of cricket in Australia over the last at least the last ten years um, in the Michael Clark reign. They all hate each other, <laughs> well, but, but more to the point, they don't need to necessarily be best mates with each other. I think that's a, a antiquated idea of Australiana that we all go down the pub together. We're all best mates. I think that's mm. something that we need to move away from in the dialogue about the Australian side. It's perfectly fine to play in a cricket side with someone and not have a lot in common with them. And we need to be okay with that. And Maxwell may very well, uh, who's to know? I know he lived with Aaron Finch, so presumably they're close, but it, it, there's no obligation on him being best mates with the skipper or best mates with the coach. They've got a role to play. They're paid very well to do that job. And that's far more important than their, than their interpersonal relationships. Yeah, that, I mean, that's 100% true. And that's what you would expect from people who have, the, uh, I guess, the maturity to, to deal with that. I, I think that's the question. The ultimate question here is, does Glenn Maxwell, I guess, you know, is he, does he have that maturity to deal with that? And, and maybe the answer is yes, maybe it's no. But I, does I don't, Cricket I don't really Australia know. have the maturity to handle um, it? Well, that's, that's the other thing. I mean, as a couple of weeks ago, you, you brought this up on the podcast when um, I think it was Paul was, was going through. You're like the only panellist that uh, actually listens uh, to He, he was going through a lot of statistics and you said, well, what is there to be said about team culture and team dynamic and team environment? And, and, and I think after, you know, the second loss to South Africa, I think there was the comment that, you know, these, these blokes aren't playing for each other and they're not playing... For Australia, and, and I think uh, we're probably going to touch on this when we get into the into the Chapel Hadley more seriously. But the difference, and, and Travis Head is competing with Maxwell for that spot right now. Mm. And Travis Head, by all accounts, is a fantastic team man, um, and he just does everything for the squad. And you know, maybe that uh, is something Maxwell maybe needs to look at. Maybe I, I, maybe I he does think, need I, to I humble think, himself. I honestly a little don't bit. think that would come into it. No? I think okay. that like they're far more pragmatic than that. In, in, in CAHQ, so to speak. I, I, you know, I, I take your point that, yeah. that there might be a perception of that. Maybe it's accurate, maybe it's not. Travis Head's 23 years old. You know, he's, he's a youngster in the side. He's trying to make his way. He's doing a pretty good job. He bowled really well last night, so I'm sure we'll come to this yep. in, in, in the detailed section about the Chapel Hadley. But, I mean, his batting's 
um, come a decent way in a short space of time. He's playing a role with the ball. That's actually Maxwell's second string. People forget about that, that he, um, in the World Cup final, he got through nine overs for 40-odd. You know, people neglect <laughs> thanks, thanks for reminding neg- me. Neglect that he can, he can do a job with, well with done, ball in hand. Yeah, sorry about that. No, no, keep it up. Sorry about that. But, um, look, I'm, I'm not sure whether, whether it's going to come down to you know, the good bloke factor. And if it were to come down to that, then I'd suggest as a problem. If it got down yes, to a stage absolutely. where they were, they were reflecting on Head versus Maxwell in, in the immediate term and saying, well, Max, Maxwell's a, a less... Um, yeah, yeah, less, less, less um, friendly character or whatever it is. I don't know if that's the case. But if they were deducing that, that would be the wrong way of going about it. That, then there would be a problem. But I, I don't yeah. know if I'd quite go to that extent. I think that um, Maxwell lost his spot in the limited over side because he had a bad run of form yep. uh, at the back end of last Shocking summer. Shocking run of form. Yeah, he did. And, you know, that, that hurt because he needed a good run of form right then. If you might recall, that was when we were pushing very hard for his test selection, <laughs> um, heading into the Sri Lanka series that was coming up that winter. There was a lot of people out there, myself included, who were saying he, he should be taken to Sri Lanka. Lanka, but we were, we, were, we, were, we, were, we were quietened, if you like, or we had nothing much to say when he had a shocking run with the white ball and, and didn't, sh- and didn't um, you know, flay them in the shield at the end of the year either. So, uh, you know, Maxwell's omission is multi-layered, it's complicated, and I think that if it does come down to a simple personality clash, they've got big problems, I don't, and I don't th- think it's quite that far. Well, I think uh, we'll leave the Glenn Maxwell saga there. Oh, really? I love talking about it. I know, we could show. talk about it for an hour. <laughs> I'm going to pin this squarely on Cricket Australia's high performance unit and leave it at that. Now, I want to move on to the <laughs> Chapel They're Hadley. They're a big target, aren't they, the, uh, the high performance guys? I think Pat Howard's become the, um, one, of the, one of the nation's most speculated people. I'm not, I'm, I'm well, we went on record when this podcast launched that we, we didn't think he was great for cricket. And, you know, I don't like to call for people to be sacked, but no, this decade hasn't been great for Australian You've cricket. sacked him. You've sacked no, him here you, on the podcast. You, you think about how many times we've beaten England and South Africa this decade in Test cricket. Not very often. Maybe one series against England. Uh, we, beat, well, we, we beat England. At, once at, in this decade. Yeah, that, that's this, fair. Yeah, yeah. And South Africa, once in South Africa, one draw. So a high performance has not been a high performance. So, I think they, they'd point at the... the yeah, I, 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 let's not let's not play a game of um, uh, bouncing Pat Howard around here. But I think that uh, no, 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 I don't want to. Bounce. But, but all, I, all I would say is that he's become the sort of figure that usually in a footy club it's it's the coach, right? You know, yeah. when, when things aren't well, the old fashioned sack the coach or sack the board is another favourite of, of footy of footy fans. But with cricket, it's not the coach, it's not the captain, it's the it's the guy that sits above the two of them in the high performance right, roles. It's, point, it's an interesting. It's you an can interesting point to decisions difference. with changes he's made to the structure of cricket that, in hindsight, seem ill advised. Some have failed. And I think it's untenable, and I think it needs to be changed. Well, I, well, I note that he's now five years into the role, so it might be a moot point because people in those sorts of roles don't tend to um, extend their contracts for much beyond that point anyway. So it might he be was a rugby else. player. He should have been the bloke that strolled from Jollymont to Cricket Victoria and put the guy in a headlock who runs Cricket Victoria and said, just let him go. Just let him go. Say, yeah, you can go. So, anyway, let's move on to the Chapel Hadley Trophy before we get pulled off iTunes um, by Howard's um, legal team. I want to go back to the... Let's start from the beginning. The first ODI at the SCG, and my headline is Super Smith Slams Sloppy New Zealand. You know, you had, on one hand, Steve Smith playing an extraordinary innings and taking two... Well, one amazing catch, one very good catch. And on the other hand, you had a really... Sloppy New Zealand in the field. They bowled too many no balls, too many wides, dropped catches, failed to refer Steve Smith when he was plum early on. So New Zealand was sloppy and Steve Smith capitalised with an amazing innings. Yeah, I'd rather call bad umpiring than bad referral just on that um, LBW, but... um... (laughs) <laughs> if I may. Uh, but you're right, absolutely sloppy. There's one thing you can generally count on New Zealand to do, and that's hold their catches um, and field well. Um, and they, they couldn't do that. I think um, Australia could have been five for 100 if Matt Henry had held on to Travis yep. Head. Uh, and that was a very simple catch. And, uh, you know, Brad, Hedden, Brad Haddon sorry, talked about nerves in, in the build-up. And, um, mate, yeah, look, maybe it, maybe it did get the better of them. It's, it's hard to say. But a lot of those guys have not... They've not been over here, really. Um, I think Matt Henry did play in the World Cup final, but um, other than that, there's a lot of new, lot of new faces in the team. I didn't expect New Zealand to, to win, but I did expect them to absolutely put up a better performance than they did. Yeah, very and sloppy. Very and, sloppy. It, and it means a lot to New Zealand. I was over there yeah. for the corresponding series uh, in February, it would have been, and that, yeah. that 
Chapel Hadley Trophy, having sat in mothballs for the better part of five years until last year's World Cup, I think it was in, in, five years in total. I don't think they played a one-day international. Bob counted every yeah. day of those five each other. years down. So. <laughs> yeah. But it does mean a lot. Like when they won that um, deciding rubber in Hamilton, it was it was a serious thing for New Zealand cricket. And I think that you're spot on, Bob, about the inexperience coming to Australia. I know it wasn't a bumper crowd at the SCG, but the very idea of coming over here and playing in that in this in this trophy, it's a bit of a marquee event for New Zealand cricket. And that's not to patronise them; it's just the reality. They're yeah, not, they're not even used they're to getting not, fixtures in Sydney or Melbourne. Well, usually that's true. They're, well, they're not yeah, blessed yeah. with the idea of playing cricket. You're right. Sydney or Melbourne, or indeed um, playing in high-profile slots in the summer um, at home, they, they play in front of you know, modest crowds at best, and, and when they're abroad, they often play two test match series and, and three-game, one-day series or whatever else. So this is a big deal, uh, and I think that definitely folds into the, 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 uh, the, the sort of meltdown we saw in the field on Sunday afternoon. So I want to talk about Steve Smith. Now, I've got a, a list of records here that come out of this game. I'll try and move through them very fast. He scored 164 of 157 balls. It was his seventh ODI turn, his fifth in Australia. He now averages in 31 matches as one-day skipper a tick over 50. He has scored more, cent- more international centuries in the last three years than any other batsman. So he scored 14 centuries in the last three years. That's ahead of uh, David Warner, Eunice Khan, Virat Kohli. And to give you an idea, over the last three years, Smith has scored 6,209 runs at an average of 58.02, which compares to uh, Kane Williamson, who scored 6,393 runs at 55.59. So Smith is right in that top echelon of batsmen in the last three years. Across all formats, you've got Smith, Coley, Williamson, now re- retired Sangakaria, Sangakara and A.B. de Villiers. It's an amazing run of form, absolutely amazing, when you see it in front of you. you know, and it feels like he's always scoring runs. But I want to put this, and I'll start with you, Adam. I think Steve Smith bats a bit like Don Bradman. Right, I didn't. I didn't see that being the first question about Smith. I must admit, uh, you think he bats like Don? Is that? I is mean, that at the moment, on... he's he's the second highest of average for a Test player, if you don't count Voges. Um, who who so was you... also compared to Bradman about twelve months ago? <laughs> no, so but... was Osman Kawaja, so, so was Joe Burns so at various times. Uh, Charlie just, Reynolds just from Australia. Go away from figures. <laughs> when you see Bradman bat, he used to play across the line a lot, and you see hit a lot of balls into the leg side. Right, uh, and there are aspects of Smith's game that sort of reminds me of Tendulkar's, and. Bradman always used to say that Tendulkar reminded him himself, of himself. Yeah. So yeah. I, when you look at Smith, the way he plays across the line, the way um, he doesn't seem to move forward too far and plays a lot. For, if you look at footage of Bradman, I think they're very similar. Oh, look, I, I, don't, I don't dispute their similarities. Um, I think that, yeah, it, it is... You're it just is, not sure, are you? It, it is fraught comparing people to Bradman. There's a, a, an English cricket journal, Charlie Reynolds, who, with great pleasure, every time Australia collapsed, which, you know, is pretty often, he busts out... Four headlines comparing um, Smith and Warner and Burns and Kawaja all to Bradman over the last 12 months. So, you know, I think we're a bit quick sometimes to, to compare people to, to Sir Donald um, uh, for a variety of reasons. But I, I take your point that he does play with an unorthodox technique, especially with that grip he has. Um, I described it a couple of years ago as like watching one of those um, snowboarders that, 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 that fronts up on the other side, goofy foot, so whatever they call it. So, you know, he, the, the, the grip all the way around, which means he can access the leg side a lot easier. So it's counter-rotation with his top hand so that instead of when he plays straight, the ball going straight down the ground, it actually goes to long on. That's his natural stroke but when hitting through the ball. But he's still able to hit through the offside. That's uh, what's no, amazing out. about his technique. To be, to be fair, that's inside out. So when, when, when Smith goes through the offside, usually it's... it's, it's his body is further up when striking the ball more than a classical off driver like someone like Usman Kawaja. Yeah. So he, you know, he can play a glorious cover drive. I'm not disputing that, but it, it looks different in technique to to others because of the way he holds the bat, and that's been well documented. But I think that's why he can open up the leg side so easily. But I find more remarkable than that, putting to one side the, the comparisons, it's the way he can um, premeditate bowling late in an innings, especially yeah. that innings at the SCG. He was standing, you know, he was he was basically standing tall, about a foot and a half outside the off stump, waiting for the ball on the stumps and accessing you know, uh, the, the bulk of the field that wasn't occupied with the five fielders outside the ring. So that's, like, first of all, a huge amount of risk doing that, but you've got to be so gifted with such great hand-eye to get the ball down with, you know, these deliveries are probably coming down at the better part of 140, 145 clicks or whatever it is, and being able to um, pick it up quickly enough when it's on the stumps and 
make a late movement with his wrists and still get enough contact to go to the boundary. That's incredible. A couple of years ago at Monica, he played that stroke through his legs, which was absolutely on purpose. And I think that that, again, just reinforces that this, has got, this guy's got tricks that most guys don't have. And on days like Sunday, you see the bulk of them, and, and that reinforces why um, he's come so far in three years. Those stats you put on the piece of paper about his last... His last few years, 6,209 6, runs. I mean, he was compared to being a club cricketer when uh, he was playing in the Ashes in 2010-11. He was like, you know, who's this bloke? He can field a bit, he can bat a bit, he can bowl a bit. He's your classic club cricketer. He can do a bit of everything. But now, nothing well enough. But nothing sufficiently well enough to, to really stand out. To think where he was there uh, in that era, 10-11, when he had his first foray into international cricket, to so the dominant force he is now. Sure, he hasn't made a ton of uh, test runs this so far this summer in, in the three, three um, fixtures they've had, but he looks ready for this. Uh, certainly in, in Adelaide, when he got run out in that first innings, he was rusted on for 100. He was burnt um, well, by himself, really, with that run out. But I think that I wasn't surprised by this. I felt that he was ready for a massive hand, and he's, he loves tons. He's, a, he's an absolute ton machine, this guy. He's made so many centuries. As you know, seven in limited overs cricket. I think he's up to 16 in test cricket. Um, when he gets a start, it's very, very hard to get him out. Mm. Amazing player. Now, Australia went on to defeat New Zealand in that game. They bowled them out for 256. Martin Guptill made a spirited century, but it was not enough to save New Zealand's fate in that game. The pick of the bowlers were probably Josh Hazelwood with three for 49 and Mitch Marsh with two for 38. Then the caravan moved on to Marnica Oval for the second game of the series and the Chapel Hadley Trophy was there to be won for Australia. And I would say with some confidence that Kane Williamson would look back on his decision to send Australia in with some regret. Adam, what do you think was going through Kane Williamson's head when he sent Australia into bat on a pretty good wicket? Yeah, it's, it's hard to... I mean, the first thing is he probably saw a bit of rain about when you might have thought the best chance to... Um, have an opportunity to take whatever advantage you get out of Monica. But as they say, the Monica Oval track is a piece of the Federal Highway, which is just outside of Canberra. It is routinely a road. Um, so I, I think it was a, a flawed move, and especially with the glut of runs. He may have seen India last or earlier this year nearly chase down 350 um, after dark, and they may, they may have thought that there they they was some chance of uh, being able to bat better it went, when the track was more worn in, I don't know. But either way, he had set himself after the after the game was over that he that had he had his time again. He may not have made the same decision. It, it's, well, a, it's a bizarre pretty wise. One. Yeah, I know, right? It's one of those classic <laughs> Good questions. Introspection. Yeah, you, you always get that question when you've had a, a shitload of runs hit against you. What if you chose not to not to bowl first? But no, it was it was obviously a poor decision, and um, I, I think that uh, you know the only thing going for it was to maybe generate some movement off the track after the rain intervals. But that seems pretty flawed logic. Flawed to me. logic. Was yeah. did, did that make you question your love for? Kane? Bob at that point? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I feel like he's under a bit of pressure at the moment. Um, I really do. I think he's learning very quickly the realities of, um, of, of taking, over, taking over this team, in particular this New Zealand team, which is now a young New Zealand team. It's not the same team that Brendan McCullum left behind. Um, you know, there's been quite a few personnel changes. And, and I think he's realised he's going to go through some tough times like Daniel Vittori had to do as well. Um, it, it's, it's, it's not easy, and especially coming here to, to play Australia as well. That's New Zealand cricket, um, tough times. Yeah, basically sums it up. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he, obviously he thought he could get a couple of early polls. Um, well, it didn't work because Australia no. catapulted themselves to five for 378, which is our third highest ever one-day international total. David Warner scored his sixth one-day international ton of the year, breaking Ponting and Hayden's record of five ODI centuries in a year. Uh, the, the all-time record, Sachin Tendulkar has nine ODI tons in a year and Sarah Ganguly seven. So, well, Warner's... No, he doesn't have a chance. There's one more game this year for him. So he could level Ganguly. Um, he was ably supported by Steve Smith, 72 off 76. Travis Head made a dashing 57 off 32. And then Australia's forgotten all-rounder, Mitch Marsh, hit 76 off 40. That included seven sixes. And I think a, a timely reminder of the talent that Mitch Marsh possesses, Adam. Yeah, that's well said. I think that Marsh's uh, la- la- last last uh, little stanza hasn't been the most flattering of his career. Jeez, he's an unlucky bloke, though, isn't he? Uh, you know, the amount of times Marsh has been out in, in weird circumstances in the last 12 months, uh, I can think of three or four off the top of my head. But I think that um, he's at his best when he's swinging the arms and hitting the ball long and straight. Um, he's, he's at his best in that situation. And as you say, it was timely uh, just, to, just, to, just to put in the back of people's minds that there's a very talented cricketer in WA uh, in Mitchell Marsh. And... 
his test results haven't reflected it with the bat, and that's uh, something he, he will ultimately get an opportunity to rectify at some stage. But um, with the white ball, he still, for mine, remains an automatic selection, especially um, probably equally as much uh, with, with the ball as it is with the bat. So on uh, Sunday night in Sydney, I, I thought he was super impressive. I don't think many people reflected on this after the game because there were so many different talking points after that, 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 com- that comprehensive victory. But he's got control over about three or four different slower balls. And we learned yep. in 2020 cricket over the last 10 years that uh, mastery of multiple slower balls makes a T20 player. And, and I think increasingly it also makes a 50-over player. He's quick enough. Uh, he, he's got enough menace about him when it's seam up, but he's also got plenty of tricks when he's uh, got the ball at the back of his hand or at the side of his hand and that, 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 um, that I think that was pretty impressive mm. uh, in, in, in holding New Zealand back at a time when they could have really flourished and um, gave themselves an opportunity on Sunday night so I'm thrilled for him I've mozzed him many times and said all sorts of lovely things about him but I, I just hope that that might be a little bit of, a, a little bit of an icebreaker for the, well, for the well, summer Well you're probably in the same boat as me that you saw him take these amazing leaps in one day international cricket Mitch Marsh especially the, the century in New Zealand uh, it, the Sydney. SCG yep. and then played crucial innings in a chase in the Chapel Hadley Trophy yep. in New Zealand. And I thought he would be able to take that confidence into the test arena. But it is yet to happen, and I hope it happens in the future. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because he played that innings in his second test match. He made 87, I think it was, in uh, Abu Dhabi in, in 2014. And I think we were reasonable, to reasonable wasn't unreasonable, I should say, to assume that he was going to be the mainstay for some time. They were very challenging conditions. He made that, um, made that fine innings in before getting himself out, I should add. But I think we all expected he was going to kick on pretty quickly. He had to wait his turn with, um, with Shane Watson returning back to the side. Got his chance in, in England and it didn't go so well, really. Uh, and, and it's been a bit of a struggle ever since. So I, I hope that... It must um, be a Marsh thing. Just yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like it, it, I mean, it, if it you can't put be far away. He's too talented. Sean Marsh and Mitch Marsh's batting averages together and divide them by three. It's not great. <laughs> the family doesn't together yeah. average pretty well. Hey, guys, I... I, I it's a fair point. I, I'd never <laughs> thought of it that way before, but now you say it. <laughs> now, I just want to... Uh, so Australia were able to score 126 runs in the last 10 overs of that game, which is amazing. But the biggest blow was not a cricket ball going over the fence. It was a ball hitting Steve Smith in the box. Mm. Now... He certainly does not have the David Boone, Alan Border ethos of not showing any pain. Because I don't know if you saw Steve Smith's reaction to getting hit in the nuts. He just went down like he'd been shot in the back of the head or something. It was classic. And, you know, he, he hasn't channeled that sort of give the bowler nothing, has he? Oh, I think, I think that, they took about a half an hour break while he attended to his nuts. I think that's one exception. I think that you can get hit, hit anywhere and, and not show it. And Jimmy Nation after dark last night showed that when he was hit flush on the forearm by Mitchell Stark. And called out the trainer, but you would never have known he'd just been clobbered by a ball that went about 150 clicks. But I think when you get mm. hit in the pills, it's the one time you can... A you can, you can, you can one that he had to have drained, and I'm pretty sure he just carried oh, on. Like, I, remember, I remember, I remember um, uh, Guru Sinha from, from Sri Lanka in the Boxing Day Two test. in a row. Uh, I remember him wincing in pain at the MCG, and, uh, and, and I think that's more in keeping with the standard reaction rather than that David Boone mm. one you refer to. I, I'm going to give Smith a leaf pass on that. <laughs> <laughs> it was just the dramatic nature of his reaction. He's, he's never been one to hide his emotions, though, I don't think. I think he makes them very clear on the field. You know, he lets his bowlers know if he's upset. He lets the umpire know if he's upset. Every, you, you're never in any doubt as to, you know, which, which cards he's about to play. It I reminds think, me of the time Alistair Cook copped one. Oh, yeah. Card of, oh, yeah, yeah. That was the one bright spot in an otherwise gloomy series for Australia. Setting one up. They, they took two wickets straight away when Cook was off with um, having his, um, having his uh, testicles dealt with. He, they immediately broke through. But I think the Smith showing his emotions is a really good point. And last night with Pat Cummins, how he, um, he signalled to him to bowl a cross-same delivery and, 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 and succeeded in getting Martin Guptill next ball. Now, that's not his emotions, but he is quite demonstrative on the field. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to see more of that from Smith. And g- generally, to that point, I want to see him take over the mantle as the most powerful man in Australian cricket because I don't think he's realised actually how powerful he is yet. We saw touch of, touches mm. of that after the Hobart defeat. But I think I want to, he's still yet to grow into the role because he's the most powerful yeah. man in Australian cricket, if not the world. And I want to see him take that on board. Well, there are people that said, um, after the, obviously after the debacle with, with South Africa, that, that they didn't feel that it was Smith's team. Um, and then obviously with the, the, the selection changes, all the young guns coming in, and now the one-day uh, side leaving out key players in that first game, you know, Faulkner and, and Maxwell and, and the Duke. The I mean, Duke? Best you know, player of the year. There's some very good Gone. players on the bench, right? But so the question is: is do you do you blokes feel that this is actually Steve Smith's team now, or, or 
No, what's I going think on we're there? getting there. I think we're getting there, but I don't think it is, no. I think it's another kind of quite nuanced thing. So Steve Smith's taken over the captaincy pretty young. And it's a team that's, in the test side at least, re- relatively inexperienced. So you, you want to see him before more, more like Steve Waugh as captain, let's, to pick one, but one example. The thing that Steve Waugh had going for him, he had, had a series of guys in the sheds with 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 test matches under their belts. Yeah. You have a lot of experience to draw on when you've played that much test cricket and that much international cricket. Smith in Hobart and indeed in Adelaide um, didn't have a lot of experience in the sheds and I think that's, um, that, that was sorely lacking. And that's a life cycle thing. I mean, teams don't always have a lot of experienced players in them. And that's part of the reason why Smith, at you know, a pretty young age, has taken the reins as Australian captain. So I think that we should be patient with those sorts of things and also mm. um, acknowledge that being captain of the Australian side comes with a significant burden as well. It's a great privilege, but one that carries burden. So um, I've compared it before to... Um, well, a lot of compared it to being prime, being, minister, being prime minister, but I've compared it to um, you know, the way a prime minister has to act when they first get the job. No one tells you, and I used to work in politics, and I've seen you know, uh, that, that experience with, with politicians before. They get the top job, and they, they didn't have to inherit the prime ministerial bubble of sorts. People expect you to act a certain way, to carry yourself um, a certain way. And I think that Smith, um, perhaps early on in his, in his captaincy, felt he needed to um, honour those um, historical conventions as well, the way he addressed the media, the way he put on the hard man routine from time to time. I think that it's going to take him a while to work out the sort of captain he's going to be, but the good thing is that he's been given plenty of latitude by Cricket Australia. Mm. When they had those two bad losses in Perth and Hobart, you didn't see people calling for Smith's head or anything like that. It was, you know, people acknowledge and people accept that this is a work in progress, both as a team, but him also as a leader. So I think that's, that's how you need to frame him up. It's that it, Steve Smith at 27 isn't, isn't the Steve Smith we're going to remember in 15 years' time. No, but I just think he mm. needs to take on board that he's the number one man. Uh, well, I, th- I, I think, think in his own really... way he will. But, but it, it, the point is, is that in order to be the number one man, you don't need to be Steve Waugh. There's, there's, there's multiple ways of being the Australian captain. Michael Clark was a considerably different leader to, 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 to Steve Waugh, to keep using that example. And he did it his own way. You're in way. the right place. You're and and right. I think over time... Um, you'll see um, Smith uh, develop his own patterns and routines. And maybe it is being demonstrative in the field. Maybe it is showing greater emotion. Maybe it's the way he responded to the Hobart loss when he gave them a bollocking in the media conference. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's the Steve Smith we'll get used to over time. But um, he's still probably um, just coming out of that idea and just getting used to it and feeling comfortable in his own skin. And I'm really interested to see um, what we're thinking about him in a couple of years' time. Right, so let's wrap up this second One Day International. Australia made 378. New Zealand were never in the hunt, all out for 262. Chapel Hadley is ours. Paddy Cummins, four for 41. Josh Hazelwood, four for 42. James Faulkner, though, two for 69 at a run rate of a tick over eight. And I guess I want to ask you both, is he becoming a bit like a Clint Mackay? Have, have, have the batsmen got used to all his tricks now? No, I, I, don't, I don't think that's the case. I think he's short of a run. Um, first game Good. back. First game I love back. Him. Faulkner's, a, Faulkner's a genius. Uh, he's actually more, he's been compared to being more a slow um, left arm spinner than he is a medium pacer given the frequency of back of the hand slow balls he bowls. I saw his hat trick in Colombo a few months ago and they were all from balls at the back of the hand and he's a freak at landing those. Ian, I call them Ian Harvey slow balls, how I prefer to think of them. Yeah, nice. And, um, and Showing he, you Victorian. Yeah, I am, yeah. I, I could go Simon O'Donnell slow ball if I was going to push it one step further and still keep with the Victorian thing. Steve Wall invented it. Yeah, well, it's yeah, he's a more a split thing, scene, wasn't he? You know? Victorian thing, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I know it's, it, you can tell you guys are from New South Wales with your your dislike of New Zealand. We don't really share that in Victoria. We we kind of have a fraternal thing with New Zealand, but in New South oh. Wales, because of rugby league and rugby union, you guys are a rabbit about New Zealand. But anyway, um, but I, I think like that, Bob. He's okay. But but, but the uh, but the, uh, the I think Faulkner's no drama. It's a bit like Cummins with his first game back. He was. You know, short of a gallop, to use the cliche, on Sunday night and considerably better for it. On Tuesday in Canberra, I had a bit more rhythm about him and I wouldn't be surprised mm. if we see Faulkner put on a clinic at the MCG on Friday. Yeah, I couldn't say it any better. I completely agree. He was definitely a bit rusty. Um, but that's his first game back for a while, yeah. Um, and I think they took him on. Yes, they did. They needed to take one bowler on yeah. and they were held back by Hazelwood, who bowled yep. so well again. Um, it's so easy to you kind of bank Hazelwood now, don't you? You kind of go, oh well, Josh, Josh Hazelwood, he's just going to land the ball on the same um, forty-eight times out of sixty. Yeah. Um, you know, um, uh, you know, twenty will go one way, twenty-eight will go the other way, and you know, happy, happy, happy as you like. But um, and we'd like him to take seven for twenty in, a, in an Ashes Test. Yeah, That's, but yeah. I think Hazelwood's becoming that way. You can just yeah. bank on him hitting the same routinely. Yeah. But they had to go after one player, and Faulkner was the one last night. Just on Hazelwood, it seems like you can bank on him getting the big wicket as well. Um, obviously, you, you touched on it with Amla um, during the during the Test series. It basically made Amla his bunny. But um, he's he's got a bit of a thing for Kane uh, Williamson now as well. So yeah, like all, you, all you've got a thing for Kane. Oh, I certainly do. But it's well, let's move different. on. Chapel Hadley Trophy. <clears throat> 
is done and dusted. Australia hold it for six weeks. Uh, before we go on, I just want to let the listeners know about the Have A Go You Mug promotion. Just remember, if you go onto iTunes and leave a review for the show, you will go into a draw for a Have A Go You Mug mug. Adam is proudly got his Have A Go You Mug mug. You're not going to give it away like one of my former panellists. Uh, so you go onto iTunes, go onto whatever app you listen to the show, and you will go in the draw for a Have A Go You Mug mug. If that is too complicated, sign up on the Patreon website for $5 a month or more, and you will get a mug straight away. Uh, this week there were no entries, so there's no draw, but a hot tip for everybody, the next show is coming early next week, so leave a review by early next week, and there'll be another draw for the preview of the Brisbane test. We'll be back in a moment. I might leave one so I can get another mug. Well, I'm, I'm yeah, like, go I'm leave like, a review out of it. A bit of crockery out yeah. of coming here. It's a good Come, idea. Uh, so we'll be back in a sec with Question Time with Adam Collins. Outside edge, as it goes, go for four. He's equaled the record with Sir Vivian Richards. A hundred of 56 deliveries. 11 boundaries and five maximums by the Pakistani skipper, Miss Burl Huck. Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. That was Misbah Al-Haq, equaling at the time the fastest ever test century. And if, if there was ever an unlikely record, Adam Collins, it was Misbah Al-Haq equaling Viv Richards' fastest test century two years ago. Yeah, it was one of the... It's a memory I cherish, really. Uh, we were doing the call for White Line Wireless uh, on community radio or internet radio at the time, and uh, I had the great fortune of being on air as he went from... I guess it was about 50 to 100 in, in, in must have been 20 or so balls that he, he really motored after getting to a half century. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it, it, was a wonderful, it was a wonderful time. And, uh, and uh, I wonderful, think that... Wonderful time for men around 40. I yeah. mean, I felt empowered <laughs> seeing that innings. You know, I can do anything. Well, also the way he premeditated the strokes, it was classic 2020 cricket. I remember one Mitchell Stark delivery where he got well inside the line. He knew it was going to be a bouncer. That was going to fine leg no matter what. And it was over the top of his left shoulder when he played the stroke. Um, it was just a man of experience, and, and I, I'm really looking forward to seeing him out in Australia. You're talking about, you know, uh, commentary. That, 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 that's one of the real highlights for me, even though it was, you know, commentating um, his commentating fastest, his fastest century. hundred unquestionably. Yeah. Well, we've got a new segment because Adam's here and he's worked in politics. It's question time with Adam Collins, and cool. I want, and I'm going to put a few some weighty issues at you, Adam. Let's do it. And let's start with the, the state of cricket broadcasting in this yep. country. I think as a consumer, it has never been better to be a cricket fan in this country. You have multiple main networks covering the cricket. Then you go onto online platforms. You can watch all the Shield games, all the women's cricket can you imagine a better time to be a consumer? No, especially you, you tap. The, I was going to say the last point first. That is the, the women's cricket. Um, if you're an ardent follower of the women's game, you like can now you see, are. like I am, you can watch every women's international commentated. And now, um, as of this year, CA to their great credit, uh, the commentators calling. could be better. They got Gav Joshi from this show and took him to the box. I didn't they, know Gav was doing uh, doing the uh, doing the, the women's internationals. I must have, I must have yeah, missed that along the yeah, way. Good yeah, on him. They've He's, got low standards. No, I, I, I'm a fan of Gav, so we'll have I'm a well, I'm sure you are. No, uh, the um, the uh, like I think you're right. The the the, the sheer volume of uh, of different voices you can hear is unparalleled. It used to be the you know some would say the glory days of Channel Nine and the ABC, but it's far more diverse now. And uh, and I think we should welcome that. More diversity is better. So let's start with Channel Nine. They've reinvented their commentary this season. We've talked a lot about it. The show they've gone from three to two. How do you think the style of coverage has gone with this reinvention? I think there's teething issues still being worked through. I like the idea they've gone to two. I think they fall back into bad habits from time to time. I think Jeff Lemon wrote the you know the definitive critique of this on the Guardian a couple of a couple of years ago about the the matey blokey um, uh, the mateiest mates who ever mated was the with the defining line of that. that well, piece, now they're picking blokes who wouldn't want to be mates with like Michael Clark and Kevin uh, Peterson. Yeah, it's well, like well, no one wants to talk to them, well, so it solves that problem. <laughs> Maybe so, but I think I think Peterson's been a revelation in terms of the the, the commentary he gives and Clark at times as well. I think. They have been fumbling around for a while and trying to find the right mix, um, and they're they're getting closer to that. Uh, but it's a it's a style thing, isn't it? A lot of people, 
I think it's partly due to the fact that we are we have got so much choice now that people can curate the music they listen to, um, they can curate the you know the sort of opinions they seek through Twitter or social media. People have very specific needs and wants when it comes to the way they receive their cricket commentary and cricket information as well, whether that's in the written form or podcasting like we're doing right here, or or um, or videos or, or indeed commentary. So I think people podcasting are, a live match though doesn't have the same effect. No, no, but I mean broadly the way you receive your cricket news, I should say it, 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 it is. I don't know, but it, it is different to what it what it used to be. So I understand why there's a lot of um, um, a lot of uh, a backlash against any different type of broadcaster. But I think the, the, the fact is, is now if you don't like one, you can choose another. And I think that's not for nothing because back in the old days, really, as we said before, it was, it was one radio station, it was one TV network, and that was that. Well, you've got ABC Grandstand now, you've got yep. Macquarie Radio Network, now you've got Triple M covering the, the test series against Pakistan. And, you know, and, what and about do, radio? Do you have a preference? Well, they'll all do different things. I mean, I'm... I'm been associated with ABC Grandstand, and I'm, you know, I'm a, a, a lifelong ABC listener, and I've, and I've broadcast for them for a couple of years, and, and BBC Test Match what Special happened? in the why, UK. Why, what happened? Caddo and Rogers just Dirk Nana sidled in, or yeah. So basically, that's a, that's a pretty good story, really. If you want to know the, the, the backstory to that, may as well tell that. So they um, came on um, to start last I season. I, I do as experts. Yeah, well, yeah, fair play. Well, they, they came on as experts because the ABC were looking to refresh the the, the, the the bench, if you like, for the expert commentator role. There's always been. Um, Maxwell, of course, but um, they'd lost uh, Kerry O'Keefe and a couple of years before that, tragically, Peter Roebuck, and they were two of their mainstays as special comments callers, if you like. So there's traditionally three play-by-play callers or three ball-by-ball, and then the three experts, so usually a former test cricketer or a former first-class cricketer or, or something of that variety, and they did feel as though it was lacking a certain gravitas, um, the, the, col- the commentary over the, the, the years after Kerry O'Keefe had left, and they'd waxed and waned with different um, personalities and some had gone really well and, and some um, they felt didn't work and they wanted to start from scratch and build a team for a period of time and they wanted to build it um, with with um, very specific uh, needs in mind so they wanted to have a, a fast bowler they wanted someone to tell the the story of being a quick bowler and uh, you know there were, there were multiple people around the place myself included who thought that Dirk Nannis having had experience calling for test match special and having been a you know an excellent exponent of a, a wise 2020 bowler might be a good fit and, and, and indeed he, he has been he's been a, a wonderful caller Chris Rogers it was someone straight out of the game they wanted someone who just left the test side and Chris um, you know fit the bill there and also it doesn't hurt the fact that he's got a journalism degree and and speaks um in quite a strident way and then they wanted Simon Kadich to be like the authority the, the conscience of Australian cricket a very popular character uh, and someone who'd, who'd spanned about 15 years in the Australian setup. when you consider what he was doing in the academy back in the mid-90s all the way through to when he finished his test career in, in 2010 so they, they wanted to build a team to last and I wouldn't be surprised if those three guys provided they remain in the media and don't take roles that preclude them from being in the media will stay in those expert roles for years and I, I can't split them I mean I'm, I find them all uh, in different ways all brilliant to listen to Simon Kadich on Sunday um, when he was asked about Glenn Maxwell you could see that Simon had thought about it I mean Simon had knew before he got into the box he was going to get asked about Glenn Maxwell he was straight down the mic and, and gave a, a forthright opinion a considered opinion a measured opinion and it was the back page of every newspaper or you know a significant story in, in every newspaper on Monday morning it becomes a news source as well Chris Rogers last year he knew that um, he was going to be asked about Chris Gale after yeah. that um, regrettable incident with Mel McLaughlin and he knew precisely what he was going to say he was prepared he was ready to go and again that made headlines and, and, and continued to do for some time and as for Dirk Nannis he's got so much to draw on with fast bowlers and he's made headlines in other ways um, last year as well um, from time to time he's willing to speak his mind so on that side of it the ABC have done I think a phenomenal job of rebuilding their stocks and of course the, the voice of Summer Jim Maxwell has been that case for a a good 15 years now, um, complemented by Jared Whateley, who's you know, the premier broadcaster in this country. Uh, those two pro- provide a wonderful service, and, and that third chair, I guess, is still being worked on, depending on... Who is it at the moment? Well, it depends Quinton on whether... Hull? Well, it, it's been rotating amongst various ABC grandstand callers and also um, international um, callers when they have a, someone from abroad. So last year, Fazir Muhammad uh, and Brian Waddle were the two callers, and, uh, and they had Alison Mitchell in to do one test match, and they had... Uh, yeah, Ali has done a wonderful job in, in, you know, to be fair, not pretty good effort from Ali. She's cut through to be a, a senior member of the BBC Test Match special team, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, in a very blokey environment, uh, like all cricket com boxes have been traditionally, and to cut through and be so well regarded is a, is a, is a mighty effort on her part, and she's a wonderful caller, and, uh, and I think that she's going to be here for the Pakistan series as well. So, yeah, there, there is a, a variety of people who filled that third chair, but Jim and Jared, to complement those three experts, it, it's world class. Yeah, I'm not a massive fan of Jared. I really like Jim. Of the three experts, you, do you have a preference between Nanus Rogers or Kadich? 
No, I, I don't, and that's not me sitting on the fence. I think they genuinely all bring something different. I'm friends with all of them, and I've worked with all of them, so like I put that you know caveat in it. So I'm not gonna, it's like I'm not gonna choose between my mates necessarily. Yeah. But I think they all do something different. I think Chris is. Uh, I think Chris still needs to leave behind some. I think still sometimes it's hard for him to get stuff out about players. I feel there's a conflict within him. Whereas yeah, right, Dirk's straight down the line, very dry, calls it as he sees it. Doesn't mind, you know, if he thinks the Aussies haven't done something right, he'll say it. Cadditch the same. But I feel Rogers is reticent yet to really go yeah, on okay. record. That's interesting. I, I think he does do that. But I, I, I take your point that maybe he's not as strident as the other two. But, um, but, but also, he gives the best insight to the, to the change room as it currently stands. And I think people value that. So, mm-hmm. uh, and that creates news. Chris talking about his perceptions on the team is newsworthy. And I think that's another major thing that Jared brings to the broadcast. It's that um, he can facilitate when, with an expert on air. He can take um, one of those three former players and, and, and work out where the, the news point is and, and, really, um, and really tease that out because he's a superb interviewer. So whereas Jim's your yeah, classic ball-by-ball guy and also a great interviewer as well, I should add. I'm not diminishing Jim's talents in this respect, but Jim's your, your voice of the game, whereas Jared is equally um, news journalist when he's in that role. And I think that really adds something and, and distinguishes him from, from Jim in that respect as well. So Adam, if you were to... Well, you will go into more commentary. I know you commentate over in England and stuff. What sort of style of commentator do you want to be? And what sort of... What do you take into the box? I think that... Um, when you're doing it, the first thing, you've got to be accurate and you've got to be clear. Now, your listeners have probably noticed that I talk at a decent clip at the moment and that's, that's reflected upon by many people in my life, but I'm not, I don't do it when I call cricket. You've got to be far more deliberative and use your pauses and all that. You know, you've got to be very careful about using the, 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 the surrounds you have around you, the, the pauses that people talk about, the, the natural um, sounds you get coming through the effects mic and, and be cognizant of the fact that people aren't tuning into the radio to hear you speak at them. They're, they're here to have you tell them a story and, and, and um, be um, there to accompany you, not, not speak at you. So you've got to be very aware of that. Because the temptation... the analogy, it's like... Some, you want to feel like you're just sitting next to interesting people at the cricket sometimes. Exactly. exactly. And, and yeah. your job as a ball-by-baller is to be very accurate about what's on the field and be, have your binoculars on every ball and, and have your numbers in front of you and prepare meticulously. Like, it's like cutting, what a, cutting down a tree. I think it's an a blinking thing. You know, you know, three-quarters of it is sharpening the knife. Like Three-quarters of commentary is, is the bits of paper you've got in front of you, in my opinion, and how much preparation you've done about the two teams. So you can bring that insight um, without necessarily being a former test cricketer. But then, crucially, realising that they're not necessarily there to hear about your anecdotes or your opinion. You're there to provide facts and you're there to bring in the opinion of your experts. So your job is to, at every available opportunity, reflect on their experiences and reflect on their expertise and, and trying to get them into the conversation. That's where I think Channel 9 are lacking. And I think that they could throw a couple of journos in the mix to extract more out of the, pl- the players they have commentating. Yeah, I mean, well, that, that, that's, that's, a, that's a shortcoming of the fact that the, the nine box is with the exception of Mark Nicholas, exclusively former test cricketers. So, I mean, and, and Mark Nicholas should have been a test cricketer, um, putting to one side the fact that he, that he played, um, you know, 15 years of first-class cricket. So he really is a former cricketer who became a journalist in his own right. But broadly, that is... He's suave enough. Yeah, of course. That, that is a cricket box, whereas, whereas radio has always been a slightly different medium where right. you've always... You, you, need, to call every, you need to call every ball. working class. Yeah, you don't call every ball when you're on TV, do you? When you're no. on TV, you're not calling the action per se. There's, like, great stories about Richie Benno going overs on end without speaking. You speak when you need to. Was well, that in the anyway. last few years? Uh, Maybe not, but that's the idea, right? Whereas, whereas when you've got to paint the picture on radio, you've got to, you know... As you say, you've got to tell them the story if they're there at the cricket to be their mate. But if they're, you know, Jim always talks about the, the farmers on their tractors, um, you've got to be um, their company. And, and, and that's a big part of the Australian story and um, mm-hmm. a big part of the Australian cultural relationship with cricket is listening through the wireless. And uh, there's still a, some magic about that as well. Now, you talked about the, uh, your, the analysts and the experts on ABC Grandstand. Are there any other commentators you like to emulate or respect or analysts per se that you think, well, they really know their cricket? Yeah, I, I do. I you know take cues from different callers around the world, and I take a point of listening to them carefully. Um, Fazir Muhammad from the Caribbean is is just absolutely outstanding at at um at the at the ball by ball element of it, and also he's quite forthright. He's become an opinion setter in his own right over years because West Indies cricket has been uh, a, a target rich environment, I suppose you would say. So he was. Excellent last year. I, I, I loved working with Jeremy Coney, the former New Zealand captain. He's a, 
a, a very um, complicated guy in many ways because he's a cricketer, but Did he's also works in the arts. Here? Did you? No, I didn't. But I mean, he, he's, he's not the usual cookie cutter no, because he, no. he, he, you know, he works in production and works in theatre, and he's been a writer and he was um, educated at I think he was educated at Oxford, and you know, he's got a different story as well. So he's a, a fascinating guy to, to sit in the box with. Um, over in England, you know, Jonathan Agnew's been doing it for, for 25 years One for, of the a, best. For, for a reason. You don't get that job as the BBC cricket correspondent at age 32 if you, you haven't got sort of some serious skill about you and, and that BBC box is brimming with talent uh, so it, it's I almost reticent to pick one out if they were listening well, so I feel good, guilty that was a good they, list they, they, are mm. a, they are an excellent sort of team at Test Match Special and again they have a similar place in, in the in the national um, cricket discourse that ABC Grandstand have here. They're that you know classic voice of cricket, if you like, and and I think that there's a reason why people are, you know there's a reason why the BBC fly them around the world. To be honest with you, there's a reason why um, they they cover every single game England cover because there's a deeply loyal listener base who who feel a true affinity with it. It's no joke to say people send cakes into the commentary box. I've had the great fortune of tucking into them. Like that is a. A really, a really cool part of it. And there's one name I will throw in there, though. One guy who crossed over from internet radio to BBC is Daniel Norcross. Yes. So um, Daniel is uh, Norky is a you know again well educated historian from Oxford as well in terms of his his background and a character in his own right. But um, someone who's ma- managed to make that transition without having played pro cricket, without having been trained as a journalist, without having really been an insider, um, started up an internet radio station, Test Match Chauffeur back in the day, and, and made his way into the BBC Test Match special box. And that's a wonderful story as well and he's one of the great callers around the world yep. that's a fairly good list you've got there adam of uh, good people inspiration um well i guess we'll leave question time and we're going to end the australian cricket podcast this week with a segment that i've used before borrowed from the npr politics podcast it's called can't let it go and what the what i'm going to ask you panelists is if there's something from the, the last week in the cricket world that you just can't let go. And Bob, we'll start with you. What can't you let go from the last week of cricket? Uh, well, I guess I kind of have two because Adam's just reminded me of one. Like I have much higher expectations for radio than I do for TV, right? And, and But I would expect them to at least a little preparation, just learn the players' names. I had, we had Scott Henry. Uh, at one point. Oh, dear. Um, so, you know, it's just, just one example. Was that um, ABC Grandstand? Uh, no, that was Channel 9. Okay, just um, but, uh, Wouldn't be Grandstand. <laughs> no, wouldn't, no, definitely not Grandstand. Um, but, uh, what can't you let go, Bob? Well, I just think there's one thing. Uh, I've got a bit of a beef with you, to be honest, um, mate. Good. And, I mean, it's not a huge deal, um, but just, just on this lollygate thing, because it's not going away and, and the, the appeal is, is uh, coming up, um, but I just wonder if... I wonder if maybe you guys were a little bit harsh uh, on Faf because we, you know, post post the event, we have heard now that um, you know David Warner and and Steve Smith and Virat Kohli and players like that, you know, we're doing it as well. And obviously, it's something that uh, is is very it's very common. You're out in the sun all day. It's there's nothing wrong with having um, keeping the saliva up, you know, with a bit of gum and maybe a few sweets. Uh, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but personally, I I, uh, I think if if it if he loses that appeal. It's going to open up all sorts of questions about what you can and can't do um, on the on the cricket field. We might even be going a step too far. So that's something that I'm uh, you can't let go. I'm My following pretty closely. Criticism of Faf. Yeah, a little bit. Well, it's, you know, uh, you're, one of the, you're one of these guys, are you? What? You're one of these lock him up or throw away the key types. No, and and I, I went through this in detail. I'm going to judge you. Show here. I did a lot of soul searching about this. A lot of in, deep introspection about this ethical issue. He did something wrong, he was caught, now he's in trouble. There's nothing in between. If an Australian player did the same thing and got caught, he would be in trouble. They've got to change the playing conditions. Yes, but do they? What, you think they should allow balls to be tampered with? I, I made the point that I'd like it... To, I mean, this is slightly, I mean, a, a slightly irreverent electrical, point. But, electrical know, tape okay. and just tape one side of the ball like in the backyard. I, 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 would, I would say this much. At the Olympic Games, every four years, and I'm sorry if those have heard this when I've said this before elsewhere, but um, the Olympic Games, every four years, they, they, uh, they, there's always a dialogue about um, letting blokes and women take as many drugs as they want and run the 100 metres final. I don't agree with that, right, because that's... Yeah, a bit vile. But there's a point to be made about whether you should let people tamper the hell out of the ball. That's not hurting anyone. I mean, I'm not saying that that's necessarily how you want to see the game play out, but the point is, is that... The laws the are now you're not allowed to do it. He got caught. Yeah, you, but, don't, you don't come out and just go, because oh, he, he did it, I can do it too, do you? I, well, I think that everyone... Does. The other point to make here is that it's fairly well known that everyone does it. But which not I agree, everyone I, gets caught. Not everyone is stupid enough like Faf to get caught. Yeah, that was a bit daft, but playing up 
as he did. But I think that... Uh, and there's a history to that. He'd yep. done it in the tour game. Yep. No, no, so, I acknowledge that. But I think I, that I just think they'll, we, they'll, they'll find a way. They've got to find a happy medium here, which is they, they probably will uphold the suspension. But I think that should be the catalyst for the ICC Cricket Committee having a having a think about the, uh, the, 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 the true reason why they've got these rules in place. And I don't think Sugary Sliver is one of them. Well, Bob, thank you for your can't let it go. As I said, enough introspection is done by me. I'm, I'm done. Faf's guilty. Move on. Adam, what can't you let go from the last week of cricket? I'm just going to point out my most favourite thing of the week, which is Jimmy Neesham's straight arms. I love the way he plays all his shots with straight arms like he's a, like he's a cartoon character from Stick Cricket. That's going to stick with me. I really like Jimmy Nation. I think, you know, how can you not? Everyone that's on Twitter loves Jimmy Nation, right? But, um, so you can't let go of Jimmy Nation. I, I, I want to see him make it. I, I, I would love to see Jimmy Nation be a serious uh, international player. But if he does, it'll be with those straight arms. No matter where he plays yeah. the ball, he doesn't bend yeah. the things. And then when he got hit on the, uh, hit on the uh, front forearm last night, um, just to exacerbate the, the idea of his arms being a focal point, not, as I said before, uh, when we were talking about the Chapel Hadley, not even blinking. He called out the trainer, but he didn't stop. He didn't sort of grimace. And he got the drink of water and drank the water and he was he's strapping tough. up his they, arm. They breed him tough. He, yeah, he's he tough. I, I'm, Board, I'm, uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I do like Jimmy Nation. So, yes, I think that I'll, I'll take a bit away from him this week. So, mm. good one, Adam. Can't let go of Jimmy Nation. Now, I'll tell you what I can't let go of. And it's been a feeling of impending doom mixed with seriously bad nightmares because I turn on the TV and I'm seeing what's happening to England in India. And I think, well, they're probably more equipped than Australia. And I just keep going to bed every night with this awful feeling that we're going to get smashed 7-0 in a four-test match series next year. <laughs> and I just, you know, my wife's worried about me. She's I'm tossing and turning, the odd swear word in my sleep. So I just can't let go this feeling of impending doom for the Australian cricket team when we hit the shores of India next year. Am I totally unfounded in those fears? No, you're not. Yeah. I'd simply put, if they... Would have lose four nil. I don't think we'd be staggered by it. I think that I'm seriously considering canning the podcast for that month or something. <laughs> just just going on hiatus. But, but the one caveat would be that I, I would be I would be surprised if the eleven that we see play the remainder of this summer are the eleven that play in the first Test match in February. I, mm-hmm. I, I would be staggered if they don't um, take a purpose built side to India for this reason exactly. So that players like Bailey and Maxwell, for example, I think will come you know raging back into consideration. I think Bancroft as well is a, is a very, very good player yep. of, of uh, spin. And I Made think runs for Australia. This is not helping my nightmares. Yep. I can tell you right now, I'm going to need some serious change in India's cricket <laughs> yeah. fortunes for these nightmares to turn around because you look at their side and I don't want to go into details, but you know, even their, even their bowlers can score, can score test hundreds. So oh, yeah. I don't know how we're going to get 20 wickets in a test match, let alone survive their spinners. So English listeners out there, I know you love to hear an Aussie struggle. Sleepless nights over this tour is my can't let it go. Well, I think we should let this podcast go because we've been talking for a long, long time. Bob, thanks for coming in. Always get you in when the Kiwis are in town. Yeah, no, look, thanks for, thanks for having me and a real pre- pleasure uh, having Adam here as well. So thanks for coming yeah, in as well, Adam. Adam, thank you so much for coming in and doing the Australian Cricket Podcast. Here you on a few other podcasts, so it's great to have you in on the show all about Australian cricket. An absolute pleasure. Good to be with you guys. I'd love to get you in again sometime. Of course. Um, take care. Listeners, remember, subscribe to the Big Smash Cricket Podcast. We're coming to you tomorrow. Thanks for downloading the Australian Cricket Podcast. What a marvellous stroke. He's played no better shot than that in the whole of the series. Sports Social Podcast Network.